0: Hey everybody, this is Derek.
1: This is Mark.
0: Welcome to Peaks Talk.
1: Ooh, is, is that our new name? Or is this just no. like our segment? <laughs> TP Talk, I don't know. The Brazen Heads, the Twin Peaks era, which lasted two and a half years. Really? It lasted longer our, than they talked about the show? Longer than it was on the air?
0: Yeah. Well, that's definitely going to be true. That's yeah. how we roll. We already had our Star Trek era, um, which might come back at some point. But yeah, we're in the Twin Peaks era oh, now. Please
1: do, yeah. I've always got more to say about Star Trek. Um, Yeah, I mean, you're talking today, are we going to do two episodes? And I mean, I could do two episodes, I guess. The thing is, is I really just want to focus on the relationship between Lucy and Andy. It's just, I don't want to give a short trip, dude. I don't know. Doesn't it just feel really important?
0: Yeah. Hey, also, let's not ignore the um, the absolutely perfect uh, on-screen chemistry, just like the sparks uh, and the purely naturalistic uh, love acting uh, between Josie and Sheriff Truman. Not weird uh, at all, not not stilted in any uh, way.
1: Dude, I, I just love what a complete putz Truman is. <laughs> what a putz. He
0: almost just stands there and says, duh, at one uh, point. He's very close to it.
1: <laughs> dude. <laughs> Dude, I, I have some notes. Ooh, I don't want I don't want to give away my notes on that scene. I, I got I think I got some pretty good notes about that. Yeah. Any uh, thing that you want to talk about the top of the show, current event-wise? Yeah, events, I mean, what's going on?
0: Um John Benet Ramsey for,
1: documentaries, you, you want to catch us up. <laughs> well, <on?
0: laughs> well, it, Monday is the anniversary of 9/11. And um, yeah. I, did, I did have a couple, like, they're kind of like synchronicities. They really aren't synchronicities because it is like, look, it's me we're talking about. <laughs> I'm always surrounded by For some 9/11. reason, I just
1: got the idea to th- talk about
0: 9-11. Yeah. So it wasn't really happenstance, but it was a little bit weird the way that these various different things all came together. So first of all, um, for you podcast heads out there, um, you might already know, but I'll just mention real quickly, there is a new season of Blowback that just dropped um, I'm not sure if you ever check that out. Does Blowback is a really good I swear, uh I know that like everybody always says this about their fam- favorite podcast, but it's Blow it's job. really like the it's the really one of the best like podcast mini series things. They don't do regular episodes, just like once a year they'll put out a series of like ten episodes that focuses on a specific subject. Well, the first one they got yeah. that for well, us. no they but they like they only do 10 and they take a year off so it's like each one is kind of like its own audio documentary if you will um and the first one they did in i think 2021 uh and it was about the iraq war uh just looking at it from the perspective of you know where we are now like just kind of analyzing the failure of it and And just like what that cultural moment was like and and all the stuff that we've learned since about how corrupt it was and lots of good stuff in there. Mm, Yeah. The second one, um, the second one, they went back in time and did something that basically like started with the Cuban Revolution, but then moved through like the Cuban Missile Crisis and the JFK assassination. It was good. The third one was about the Korean War. Uh, which is like pretty interesting. It's kind of like the most arcane one because, you know, especially in America, a lot of us don't know a lot about the Korean War uh, and how it was like interrelated with, you know, what the CIA was doing after World War II. Um, And then this new one uh, that that is like the first synchronicity that just came out is about the, um, basically the war in Afghanistan, like first of all, like the Soviet-Afghan war in the 80s, but then the way in which like the Taliban emerged out of that uh, as basically like something that we were sponsoring, you know, to fight the Soviets, and then how that like mutated into Al Qaeda and nine eleven. So,
1: well, I, I also um, saw Rambo three, so I think I got my history lesson on that. Thank you very much. The,
0: the first thing that they do in the first episode is discuss Rambo three, and one of the things that blew my mind was, you know, that thing where it says like this film is dedicated to the brave mujahideen. Um, that that was like that was a made up internet meme. There was never. A version of Rambo that ever had that title card on it um, that was just somebody doing a Photoshop <clears throat> but I had I had seen that so many times uh, like on Reddit and whatever that. yeah that was like a meme that went around that people said that in the original version of Rambo 3 that there was like a title card dedicating the film to the because that's what he does is like he basically kind of supports yeah. these you know Mujahideen well, it's kind of like um, an Empire
1: Strikes Back uh, he never says Luke I am your father
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. What's that Mandela called? effect.
1: Yeah, Mandela effect. Yeah, thanks. Right. Yeah. Good one.
0: But, yeah, Rambo 3 is good, though, right? I remember it being good.
1: Oh, it's obviously... Yeah, no, it's... Oh, dude. I mean, you know, we, we could get into the intricacies of the Rambo franchise, but, yeah, I mean, Rambo 1, I think you just have to say, you know... hmm <clears throat> The spirit of the franchise, for sure. But, yeah, all, the, all of them are really good. I, I mean, it wasn't like... It's not like the Rocky, there wasn't a bad Rocky really until Rocky five, which still Mm -hmm. isn't that bad to be fair, Mm -hmm. but no, there was not a a movie like that. There's no bad Rambo movie like that is what I'm trying to say.
0: I've always said, uh, and it's one of my like favorite hot takes is that first blood is actually one of the best films of the seventies. Uh, it's not just like, Ooh, cool. Like Sylvester Stallone blockbuster. Like, no, it's a serious, like awesome movie, um, all around. Um, and Rocky usually gets a lot of credit. It's like, you know, won an Academy award and everything. Like, it's like the serious, uh, like great film that well, still, yeah, have, but I mean, first blood is better
1: to do that. a hot take <clears throat> over in, uh, in, in, my neighborhood. I mean, what would be a better mm-hmm. movie in the seventies?
0: Well, Blazing I mean, Saddles? I think there's, <laughs> I think there's better movies in the set. There's a lot of, you know, it's the best era of film ever, but I'm just saying first blood ranks way up there. It doesn't get the credit it deserves.
1: Oh, for example the deer hunter mean is a better streets or something yeah right? yeah mean yeah.
0: streets is better yep deer of hunter course. is better man i just watched this awesome movie you might have seen this already actually because you grew up in like a car household did you ever see the movie Le Mans starring steve mcqueen
1: yeah no we actually had that on tape
0: that's so sick it's on criterion channel right now so you can watch it in hd it's amazing
1: oh okay cool
0: because they they filmed it at the real Le Mans and they used real drivers too. I mean it's the footage they have is awesome.
1: Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not the daring to talk about to you about that movie, but yeah, I, I'm sure I've seen it at some point. I I remember I know we have the the tape. I might mean, I was just back at my parents' house, but they still have it's like the the double cassette tape. It's so tape. good.
0: That's a that's a pick to click for anybody who has Criterion Channel. Go check out Le Mans. Yeah, and the story behind it which I didn't really even realize is that Steve McQueen was a actual, you know, he was actually interested in, in racing. Mm-hmm. He, he was like a real driver. And so he drove the 12 hours of Sebring down in Florida, which is like what a lot of people use as like their warm up for Le Mans. And, uh, I think he came in like second place. Like he was actually good. Um, dude, so like then Vince he Neal. tried to, w-
1: sorry, is <laughs> really dude. Vince Neal is a really good race car driver too. I don't know if that's true, but he does like fast cars. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, that's... A, okay. Well, me too. So, <laughs> throw me in there. Okay. Maybe a better analogy is Paul Newman. Yeah. because actually right, did Exactly.
0: Race. Yeah. And him and Steve McQueen, I think, were very much, yeah, like kindred spirits, whatever. Um, so, then, yeah, Steve McQueen was really excited to do this Le Mans movie, and he wanted to actually drive in the real race and film it. Um, and I think, like, his his specific like entry wound up not qualifying, but they had this whole team of professional drivers. um, And then they like rigged out the cars with cameras and they filmed some of the footage during the real race. And then they like stayed around like after the race was over and did like their stunt footage and everything. Um, And uh, yeah, there's just lots of cool, like interesting details, like, like Enzo Ferrari, like the real guy uh, would not like let them use their actual Ferrari Le Mans cars. Uh, in the movie because like the, the script had it that Porsche won and he didn't want to let it be like a Ferrari losing, like in the movie. So they had to like go buy their Ferraris from some other place. And, um, there was a guy there one of the pro drivers actually did get into a real crash during filming and filming and lost part of his leg. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a wild movie. It's just, it's, uh, it's just tons of real race footage basically, but it's just really cool. And it has that seventies aesthetic. Um, but anyway, yeah, good one. Lamont. Anyway, blowback. So blowback was talking about 9-11 um, today, the, the episode that I was listening so to. So it's blowback
1: and, like our foreign policy has blowback.
0: Right, right. The whole theme of their show is that blowback is this term that got invented to basically denote the concept of like, hey, the CIA goes and does something because they're trying to like, you know, exert control somewhere. But then it has these unintended consequences. Um, and mm-hmm. so they like explore all of that. But their whole thing is like, well, actually, you should look at it in a more systemic way. They do a really good job of explaining this at the end of season one when they talk about the Iraq war. And they just talk about how like each different thing that the CIA does. It's like blowback is part of the whole thing. It's not a bug. It's a feature, as they say, because whatever the blowback is for something, that's the next excuse that your military industrial complex and your arms manufacturers and your you know foreign intelligence uh you know that's their next opportunity to go yeah, do well, something yeah well that's
1: like saying the alcoholics hangover is a a feature not a bug right like, <laughs> right no, exactly that that's the point so then you get to exactly. drink more it's just it's it's the same right. it's not it's like planned, but right. yeah right and yeah they're, any they're excuse being excuse to exert more power and control mm-hmm. if that's where exactly. your mind is <laughs> and then you set up this institution that rewards sociopathic behavior, you're going to get people who that's where their mind is. Yeah, that's what you get.
0: Right. Um, so yeah, this season they were talking about nine 11 and then I'm also um, reading Thomas Pynchon bleeding edge right now, uh, which is his sort of like, you know, all, all of his recent books are these sort of like madcap, like detective stories basically. But this one is all framed around, Um, 2001, like, takes place in New York City, and 9-11 is part of the plot. Um, So I was reading that last night, and literally the scene where 9-11 occurs in the book uh, happened uh, when I was reading it last night. And then also last night on YouTube, the algorithm recommended um, one of these videos. There are several of these out there that's just, like, the real-time, like, actual news footage from the day. Like, it's just some local news channel in New York that's showing, like, Good Morning America or something. Uh, and it has just like their you know minute by minute of like how they actually yeah you know, it's just like a tape from that morning, um, <clears throat> so that was crazy. I watched that for a little YouTube while. YouTube
1: knew you were interested in nine eleven before you were. It's like when they know that women are pregnant before they know. Right. You just well, sense it, it, by what you've been clicking and other sites you've been going to. It just knows that you're gonna be into nine eleven.
0: Yeah, well, the algorithm might have recommended that to me because I've already clicked on those videos in the past, but <laughs> oh, but yeah, it did too, give me too. yeah, it did give me a new one <laughs> last night. So yeah, anyway, all this stuff is kind of all like swirling around, and then you know Monday is the actual anniversary of nine eleven. So there you go, all these different things all popping up at once.
1: Twenty two years. Hmm. Yeah. Well, nothing to say about that. I haven't said a million times already, so.
0: Yeah, no, totally. When I was watching that news footage last night, it was just like, you know, what am I supposed to say about this? Yeah, like you just said. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's still just, it's a real spectacle. And if you go with the whole subliminal jihad analysis, like maybe the whole point of it was to be some sort of spectacle. Uh, but man, there's really, there's really something about it that is captivating. Uh, and obviously a big part of that is the fact that, you know, the impression that it made on me personally at that time in my life.
1: Yeah. I mean, I get your fascina- fascination with it. I mean, I have the same fascination. And, and it's almost like coming from the perspective of why are we not still talking about this all the time? Yeah. Why are we just not interviewing everybody who is within like a 20-mile radius all the time? Why mm-hmm. why instead of having Rachel Maddow, why are we not interviewing the wife of a firefighter who died? It's like Stacy Knight, right
0: yeah there's still footage that i hadn't seen before it's like every time i get one of those youtube videos it's like oh my god how did i not already know that one
1: yeah um, right like why are we not just analyzing this every which way which, which is why we go at these conspiracy <coughs> theories which yeah, i kind of believe in but mm-hmm. it just seems like yeah they, they literally just just took the uh, um the rubble and shifted out to China. And it feels like that's what they did with all the content around it. It's just like you took all this potential content that we really need to know about. Like we just need to study this news, right? Th- this event for five years. And it just felt like you just shifted somewhere. It's like, wait a minute. Wait, what? Oh, wait, now we're mm-hmm. in war with, like with Iraq or Afghanistan. Wait, what does that have to do with it? You know? Right. Yeah.
0: Well, people have, are in, if people are interested in that yeah I think this blowback season four is really good they have absolutely no at least so far I'm not all the way done with it yet they have absolutely no conspiracy takes at all it's completely um i w- I don't want to say mainstream because obviously they're coming from a perspective that's very critical of the deep state uh, and of you know American foreign policy so it's not mainstream in that sense but it's mainstream in the sense that like you know like uh Penn and Tellers bullshit would not have any issue with the the stuff that they're covering in this show because it's not about uh, jet fuel can't melt steel or anything. It's much more about the actual like um, what do you call it the geopolitical relationships that like preceded nine eleven and led up to it. And there's a lot of them. It's very interesting, you know. there's they go all the way back to talking about how like. You know, the uh, USAID, which was like a humanitarian program sponsored by the federal government, but actually, you know, turned out to be a CIA operation. They were the ones who back in the 70s and 80s, well, the 80s more, uh, like printed out all of these textbooks for Afghani schools because they wanted to try to educate the children to be anti-Soviet. And so they found that, like, the best way to do that in Afghanistan was to use a lot of religious propaganda. So they loaded up all these textbooks with basically stories about the glory of jihad, you know, and, like, celebrating uh, traditional Islam. And, you know, sure enough, these guys who would go on to be, like, the founders of the Taliban were the ones who were raised in those schools. And those very same books were, like, the ones that wound up, you know, like, fueling the fire for... You know anti-american you know terrorism like one generation down the line and that's just like one little morsel but you know it's really a story that has like you know a a 50 million of those things where you know we're the ones giving them the stinger missiles and we're the ones encouraging pakistan to be supportive of them and sure enough that's where we wind up you know finding osama bin laden later and all that stuff like it's it's just wild
1: Yeah, it sounds like the way you say it it sounds like the um, the assassination of Archduke Francis Ferdinand. Mm -hmm. It's like just all these entangling alliances led up to this one thing. I mean, something was going to happen, right? It's just this inherently fragile system that you're building up with these, you know, just you know, CIA, you know, CIA operations, things like that. Just you know, uh, American Empire foreign policy kind of stuff. Yeah, something's going to happen.
0: Yeah, something was going to spark World War One. That just happened to be the thing that did it. Right. But yeah, yeah, they, it, the things were arranged in such a tension that, like, as soon as one little thing gave, there was just no stability to the whole system. Right. And uh, yeah, and that's exactly how our handling of the Middle East, you know, has been. Uh, I guess still is, arguably. You know, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens from here.
1: Yeah, you know, why would it change? Right. It's, it's working great for our weapons manufacturers.
0: Well, I was just thinking earlier today, like on that note, it's like, man, now that I'm listening to this blowback season, I'm just thinking, you got to imagine that a couple years down the line, there's going to be another one of these podcast miniseries that's just about Ukraine. Because this is just another example of the same thing. You know, of course it gets... It gets colored as this, you know, fight for democracy and national sovereignty. But, you know, what is it really? You know, it's there's there's something that there's a common theme that connects that to every other military entanglement we've had since
1: World War Two. Dude, Putin's evil. Ukraine's good. What's the guy's name? Volensky. He's good. Yeah. It's that simple. Everything's always been that simple. That's how World War Two was. And we won. (laughs) It's the same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's good stuff in blowback about how supportive Putin was of America during the war on terror and how, yeah, absolutely not treated as an enemy at, in the slightest. In fact, was treated as a great ally um, at that time. But, you yeah, know, how quickly the tables turn when it's in our interest to do so.
1: Deep state. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Any other... News you want to talk about? I can't remember it, how I got on I'm that. I guess I was to just stall to, uh, to make it seem like a normal amount of time before we can talk about Twin Peaks.
0: I have no idea how I got on that, so I guess I think I'm done now. I just everyone check out Blowback. I can send it to you, uh Diz, if you're interested. It's
1: sometime. like you have a chick over. You don't want to like jump on her right away. You want to seem <laughs> cool. That's, that's what I'm doing right now. No, let's
0: watch a couple episodes on Netflix here.
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you want one of? Want a beer? Uh, I've been on watch, a date in a while first date in a while so I don't
0: know you want to watch episode 11 of Twin Peaks uh, episode 4 of season
1: 2 it's pretty good <laughs> well dude uh, yeah that actually be a sweet thing to, to watch on a date because you get awesome game tips from Harold
0: true that's true
1: and, and what to do when you have a high school girl over at your apartment <laughs> going through this girl's diary that just yep. seems like a really hot date to me. Whew. Yeah.
0: He's not, not creepy and jittery at all,
1: <laughs> but somehow endearing in the nineties. I don't know.
0: Hey, sensitive.
1: Yeah. He's sensitive. Again, I was saying last year he was dressed like a teddy bear.
0: Mm-hmm. This is what warped all of us who grew up in that time period. I remember Stephen Merchant, the, the co-star of the, of the office is hilarious. You know, the, the British office, hilarious dude. You know who that is? The tall gangly British guy. I know. Um, he's like Ricky Gervais's partner. I remember one time he told this story about how when he was a kid in high school, he was like hanging out at some party or whatever. And, like, all the kids, like, all the boys and girls were just, like, having fun. And all he needed to do was, like, fit in with them and have fun with them. But instead he thought it would be cooler if he, like, went off into a corner with a book and, like, sat there with, like, a sad look on his face because he thought it would make him look cool. And then a girl would really like him, like, because he would be cooler than everybody else. And he just did this whole hilarious uh, bit about it. Dude, I wow.
1: totally relate with that, unfortunately. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't think been I've been ever there. done something that bad Particularly, Although, I don't know. Maybe I've done worse stuff, too, in my own way. So I, yeah, I've, I don't I've
0: definitely done that. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, th- that's what Harold's game is like. That's, that's what warped us into that is by seeing guys like Harold on Twin Peaks and, like, Donna likes him for some reason.
1: Yeah. D- d- it's a wonder why I'm even straight. <laughs> Did that work? Do people believe me?
0: yeah yeah, i think you sold it okay
1: yeah i'm totally straight
0: oh god okay should i do the log lady intro
1: episode i'm actually
0: gonna i have two readings for today but this will be the first of two readings Oh miscommunication is gonna be yeah that's what i was looking up before we started recording miscommunication sometimes leads to arguments and arguments sometimes lead to fights anger is usually present in arguments and fights Anger is an emotion, usually classified as a negative emotion. Negative emotions can cause severe problems in our environment and to the health of our body. Happiness, usually classified as a positive emotion, can bring good health to our body and spread positive vibrations into our environment. Sometimes when we are ill, wait, sorry. Sometimes when we are ill, emotion wait. Sometimes when we are ill, we are not on our best behavior. By ill, I mean any of the following physically ill, emotionally ill, mentally ill, and or spiritually ill. That's the log lady intro. Huh. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what to do with that but one. Dude, maybe she's talking about Lucy. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, this yeah, there's there these subplots, we always joke about how they're pointless, but like that there's I mean, kind I'm of more joking,
1: but I'm kind of not, you know.
0: Yeah, there's more of a connection to that than there is to really the plot at this point. Um, yeah, whatever.
1: Hmm. Maybe I'll, I'll get some ideas as we talk about this.
0: Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. I guess. I mean, it's just sort of like basic emotional, you know, anger versus happiness theme. Um, uh,
1: before we get started, I just want to defend my point from our last episode. I really think that Jacques was poorly cast. Yes, I think he needed to be a Mm dirtbag, but still somewhat handsome. Like, still had, like, gross teeth. So when you do the close up on his mouth, you're like, (laughs) eh. Yeah. But I think he needed to be, like, wiry or, like, handsome in some respect. Like, he could be handsome if he wasn't such Canadian trash or something like that. He's just, he looks like a a, a walrus, you know? It just doesn't. Is that it because you have to
0: believe that Laura would want to have a threesome with him, or what?
1: You would have to believe that he's, like, some some cool guy. Like, part of his thing is he is kind of a cool guy. Like, he does, obviously, like, he parties. He does mm-hmm. party. And he Definitely. doesn't kill anybody, right? So it's not like he's... He just parties, dude. And I just just don't think... He just doesn't look... No. No, I just had to be still be a dirtbag, but a better mm-hmm. looking dirtbag, I think.
0: I mean, like Leo. I mean, right? You just needed another Leo, right. basically. You need
1: another Leo, exactly. <clears throat> yeah,
0: yeah, I could picture that. There's something that might be like a Lynch choice. There's something like where he wants that guy to be super vile. I'm thinking about Lynch's Dune uh, and the way they did the. Uh, you know, the Baron Harkonnen yeah, is like pur- pur- purposefully like the most vile dude you can possibly think of, uh, even though that's not really necessary. It kind of undercuts his actual scariness uh, as a villain because he's so just disgusting uh, and sort of like wretched. But uh, that might be like a lynch choice. I, I don't know the reasoning behind that.
1: Well, look, I mean, I'm not saying it. Yeah, I just had to defend myself there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, speaking of Jacques, the the first thing that happens uh, in this episode is a another sort of interesting uh, zoom out, or I don't know what you would really call this, you know, sort of shot. But we're hearing these sort of echoes of of um, you know sounds from from previous episodes and and sounds of distress and screams and I can't remember all what's in there. I think someone Leland, yelling, "Daddy!" Yeah, right. Leland,
1: "Daddy!" It was right. just that over and over again.
0: And you're zooming through this, like, you can't really tell what it is at first, but it winds up being a hole in the acoustic tile. Uh, And when we, when we zoom all the way out, we realize that we're like in the sheriff's station and they're interrogating Leland. So when we last left off, they showed up and arrested Leland. And the reason why, remember, because I forgot, I had to go back and look, we believe is because Dr. Jacoby witnessed Leland in the hospital. He was in the room. Uh, in the adjacent bed to where Jacques Renault was. They put Dr. Jacoby under hypnosis and he he recognized uh, the killer. Um, so yeah, they're interrogating him. Uh, and he, you know, again, Ray Wise, the best like actor, just unparalleled, so good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he admits to killing Jacques Renault and talks about the feeling of absolute loss and how every cell in your body is, is in pain and, and so on. Good stuff, good acting.
1: See, so that kind of acting, right? Okay, it's not Shatner. He's not totally Shatnering it, but also he's not being a Joseph Gordon-Levitt about it and just trying to be as unaffected as possible. I don't don't know if that's a happy medium because I don't know much about acting, but that's the kind of acting I I really, more on the Shatner side, but.
0: Me too. Yeah, be an actor. It's not necessarily realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good in my opinion. Right. And I totally agree. Yeah. It doesn't, not everything has to be subtle. A lot of my favorite stuff, again, we'll talk about this judge scene later. I, I like stuff like that where it's over the top and not melodrama, but just like, you know, it exists as drama for a reason. It's not just naturalistic all the time.
1: Yeah. Dude, I, I like those tiles in the ceiling. Those those are the tiles that you would shoot your pencils into in, in middle school. Exactly. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's coming back to me. Like yep. in, in 1988, every uh, public <laughs> building in America just put those tiles in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Dude. So while they're interrogating Leland, um, Doc Hayward is there. Yeah. Um, not exactly clear why, but whatever. He's there, I guess, just in case he needs like medical assistance because he has like fallen out a couple times in the past. Whatever. Um, so when Doc Hayward is walking out, he's trying to kind of pal around with Cooper. Interesting little interaction, you know. He just says like, yeah. "That man has been through so much," and he's like pitying Leland. You know, he says, "No man should ever have to outlive a child," and Coop is kind of fed up with it. Uh, and stops him and just says, You know, do you believe that murder is okay, doctor, or something like that? You know, and uh, kind of so confronts a, him a little bit. Uh, Coop.
1: What a what a nerd.
0: Interesting moment. What a Boy I Scout.
1: mean, yeah, I do think murder is okay, actually. <laughs> it's probably kind of fun. Stop being, much, stop being such a puss about everything. That, that's what I would say if I was Doc Hayward, anyway.
0: Well, to me, the thing with that is that it's because Cooper's upset also. Right, like I think Cooper is just as upset with his empathy for Leland uh, as Doc Hayward is, but his way of processing that is is by becoming the federal agent, you know, special agent, uh, because that's such a crucial part of his identity.
1: Yeah, I think you're being too charitable, but
0: yeah, not that that's necessarily good. I mean, that's the crazy thing about Cooper. I know you're not a fan. I mean, I love Cooper. He's like my favorite character but it's like if i met him in real life it's like i could never be friends with a cop you know like in the end so it is like a weird sort of uh contradiction dude a
1: federal cop
0: yeah yeah but i like
1: him in the show a federal yeah i mean he's fine but yeah it's just one of those things where i just get annoyed at coop anyway
0: so then andy's there and um, it's a good acting by the guy who plays Doc Hayward. He's really good, too, and just shows him like comport, you know, uh, uh, gathering himself and, and changing his demeanor so that he can like be amiable with Andy. and Andy wants to take another sperm test um, because he knows Lucy is pregnant now. And so there's some light comedy there where Doc Hayward tells him to, you know, provide a sample, put it in a brown paper bag. I'll be waiting in the car. So then we get like the, uh, the slapstick of Andy having to like sneak off to go jerk off in the bathroom.
1: Yeah, and it's like, I like how these two scenes are, are totally connected mm-hmm. because Doc Hayward kind of connects them, right? And it just yeah. goes from total devastation. Like, I don't know. I mean, Leland, what, he's a pillar of the community and he, he found out that he killed somebody. Mm-hmm. To and he has to jerk off in this little jar. And then yeah, he runs into Lucy.
0: So then of course yeah, he runs into Lucy, and she sees that he's got a copy of Flesh World on him. Um, so that's funny.
1: <laughs> I, I like her Miss Piggy <laughs> when she storms away.
0: Right. Yeah, she does some good acting in this too. But when she when she uh meets up with uh, Dick later, there's some good acting there too. Um, Okay, so then uh, kind of like recentering on where we are in the story, you know, we have the little tag up between Truman and Coop where they just say like, okay, well... We got the judge coming into town, you know, he, he, he's the, the, the circuit judge. So he has to like, you know, drive in from a long way away. Uh, and also the prosecutor coming into town so that they can deal with this, you know, serious case that that isn't typical uh, in Twin Peaks. So that'll be happening later. And in the meantime, we're chasing down the Pearl Lakes thing. Remember Leland mentioned that he remembers uh, a man who matches the sketch uh, lived by their family down in Pearl Lakes. So Hawk is going to check that out, but there's no real lead there yet. Um, okay, then Andy is trying to hustle out of the bathroom, and he bumps into somebody else in the hallway, and his sperm sample jar uh, rolls away underneath the chair uh, in the waiting room.
1: Bumps into Hawk. Yeah. It's, it's on top screen, and Hawk goes, "Andy, look what you're going on."
0: Just- yeah. And um, when the when the jar rolls underneath the chair they're trying to really like maximize the slapstick so it actually makes a shattering sound effect right which is weird like that it didn't shatter like right. it does have the sperm sample but like for a minute there, like i don't know if you're thinking about yeah, it probably just everywhere huh? you, you think there's jizz on the carpet in the sheriff's <laughs> office now yeah it's a little bit weird maybe you're not supposed to be thinking about it that hard but that's what i thought of
1: yeah I don't know. Is it really a shatter? I mean, I, I got the impression that it shattered. So I'm with you. I don't know if it's really a shattering sound. It was. Yeah, it was real close. It, it, it could have just you been think like that yeah, something shattered, though, a but,
0: clanking a glass clanking sound. Yeah,
1: maybe it's just that. But
0: so anyway, uh, Andy bends over to go pick up his sample from underneath the chair and Coop notice notices that he has circle brand boots are those are the same boots, the new shoes, if you will, which will come up later, um, that they found underneath the floorboard uh, at Leo's house. Um, and the giant had told Coop that there would be a clue at Leo's. They thought they had found it already when they found the cocaine, but now they're thinking like, no, wait a minute, it's these boots. And Andy got those boots from Philip Gerard, the one-armed man. Um, so they have to go talk to the one-armed man again. Okay, that's everything at the sheriff's station. And like you said, that's all interconnected. That's basically one scene. It's kind of like three or four scenes, but they did a great job of, you know, flowing all that stuff together. Right. Okay. Um, Next thing that happens is we find out that MT Wentz, the travel reviewer, is coming to town. Um, So, like, Empty Who? (laughs) Exactly. Hanks, I, I love that. Weird name. Um, yeah, so Hank and Norma are on the lookout cause they want to get a good review for the double R and, um, and, and the front desk lady at the great Northern is going to be on the lookout too. And, and she talks to Ben Horn about it. Okay.
1: Yeah. She seems that hotel clerk lady, she seems very intent on like wanting to please Ben. I mean, maybe she's just being a good employee, Mm-hmm. but at this point you're wondering what's going on. I mm-hmm. don't
0: know. Right. Did we already, did I skip over it? Did we already do the thing where Audrey is in the the uh, one-eyed Jack's? and, uh, yeah, did I skip over that?
1: Or that does that was happen from later? from the previous... Or is that from the last episode? Well, it also happens later on in, in this one when, when they kill uh, Emery.
0: Yeah. Wait, because I have it written down that the next John thing they killed ha- Emery. This must not be right. I have it written down that the next thing that happens is that Jean Renault is in Ben's office and shows him the Audrey video. That I must have missed something. That doesn't happen just yet.
1: Uh no, I think that happens around this time.
0: Okay, well first before that happens. And then later
1: to... yeah, because then later Jean Renault goes to one eyed jacks and he kills. Oh Henry.
0: yeah, you're right. Okay. I thought those happened in the other order. Okay, right. So Jean Renault is waiting there to meet up with Ben Horn. And remember, like his whole thing here is that he wants to get Coop because Coop killed his brothers or resulted in the deaths of both of his brothers, whether he did it personally or not. Um, and so, yeah, and and Ben already knows who Jean Reno is, although they haven't necessarily met because Jean Reno is like the muscle, you know, like the protection uh, for One-Eyed Jacks. So anyway, whatever. Um, he tells him, you know, I want I want the money and I want this FBI man to be the one who delivers it. Uh, okay, Double R, Hank and Norma getting ready for the food reviewer to come into town. Hank is doing his weird like Mr. Nice Guy routine <laughs> where he's like, uh, you know, being like the good husband who's going to get the diner already. Dude,
1: Hank's so good. I, I love it because, well, I think it comes later when they think that M.T. Wentz is in the, the Double R diner. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think I have a good point about that. You know what I like about this scene, though, is that Hank's way of sprucing up the place is to get tablecloths. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would think that? Oh, like, maybe something in the 90s would think that.
0: Yeah, I guess. Um, like, okay. Yeah,
1: way to make it look like my grandmother's dining room <laughs> or something. I don't know.
0: <laughs> right. Um. Okay, now here we go. Here's Donna visiting Harold again. Uh, and, yeah, he reads to her the extremely creepy passage from Laura's diary where she basically says... I love Donna. She's such a great friend. She like fills me with light or, you know, whatever. But also I'm afraid that Donna would never want to talk to me again if she knew like what my actual psyche was like. And how I'm like, you know, basically drawn to the dark side and fixated on being bad and dreaming of how all of these like evil men could take me yeah. or something like that. And Harold's like,
1: "Why is he?" Dude, it's just so strange that he's reading that.
0: Yeah, you could have read ahead like two sentences and foreseen <laughs> that you might not want to read that one, bro. That's
1: that's how you read is you kind of read ahead a little bit so it doesn't. Yeah, you wouldn't accidentally say that. Yeah. And it's kind of a date, right? I mean, Donna's pissed at James mm-hmm. because of the whole Maddie, Maddie. thing. Maddie, yep. This is kind of a date, and this is what he's doing. I don't know. It's just such a strange scene. It, it, it's just so 90s. He had to be there, kids.
0: And she and, and he explains that, like, oh, yeah, people come to me and tell me their stories. Uh, lovers, maybe you someday. <laughs> it's like, ooh, good good line, Harold. <laughs>
1: well yeah I mean okay he's kind of being <laughs> that's, that's a bad line true but I i like that uh, okay see if I was going to pick something to read it would be what Harold says there because it, he talks about taking stories and putting them in a larger count, context it sounds like myth formation mm-hmm. right? like he's just taking stories and putting them together to make an overall story mean more and um what about the breach of trust, right? I I think if you gave me your diary and then you died or I had it, I wouldn't Mm. go around reading it to people. I I hope you you know that. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that he wouldn't read it to just anybody, but he's willing to read it to Donna because he knows from Laura that Laura would be okay with it. I mean, if you're being charitable, you could say that. But I think also what it is is just you know, Harold wants to have a connection to Donna for whatever reason. And, um, and, and, you know, no spoilers, but like, you know, their relationship is not going to get a chance to develop that much farther than this. So who knows really like what the long-term, uh, intention really is here. But the other thing about this, I think that's kind of cool. Like I can't resist doing the sort of meta thing is I just think that like, if you're a creator of a TV show, you love to have a character like Harold whose job is to basically be writing the story. Like they're inside of the story, writing the story. Uh, it's like, you know, in Inland Empire, the other example I was bringing up, like having a movie director uh, and like movie actors inside of your movie so that they can like talk about moviness and represent acting like as actors in your film that you're creating. Like just that sort of thing I think is always probably very fun for uh, people who do stuff like this. So, and then sure enough, you know, just to drive home that point about meta like back then in the nineties, they did actually publish the secret diary of Laura Palmer as a book. It was like a bestseller back then. Um, So yeah, it's all, it's all connected.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, it's an archetypal role. I mean, it's just the storyteller shaman kind of guy who's, who's, you know, especially in this situation, outside the confines of just completely outside society like he's not a part of it right he doesn't fit in the hierarchy at all he's just on his own and that's yeah and
0: it's interesting how
1: it works in our you know our unconscious
0: yeah and i think it's really cool in twin peaks just to put sort of maybe too fine of a point on it i think it's really cool how the meals on wheels people specifically are these people who are on sort of like the periphery of the story almost like demigods of the Twin Peaks world, you know, first you meet this Mrs. Chalfonts and her son, uh, or Mrs. Tremont, sorry, but that's the, those two names are related, as we'll you know learn yeah. mysteriously later. Um, and she's obviously is some sort of weird, like magical force. We don't really know anything about her right now, other than you know Donna had that insane interaction with her with the cream corn. But then later on in Firewalk with Me, you see that like they're sort of like these gatekeepers who like give Laura the picture that she puts up on her wall uh, and like the jumping man comes out and like jumps around the puddle. Like there's definitely like a connection to the black lodge there. And then even Harold too, like like Harold is also this sort of demigod figure. Like you're saying, he's like this archetypal, like the, the scribe of the story. Uh, he's not really of the plot. He kind of rides above it and he was able to like intersect with Laura and with Donna without ever having like any sort of like real stakes. He was more like a, a sort of like omniscient, like witness to the whole thing. And, uh, I don't know. I just think that shit is really cool. And I think I could say that it's probably designed that way on purpose. Like it helps elevate the story to have it like these meals on wheels, people to be kind of like on the periphery, adding something like extra outside of the normal cast of characters.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just like not part of like the the like the emotional temperature of the town. Like they're right. still there, but kinda of, yeah.
0: Right. And I think in the return, um, like Philip Jeffries is like that. You know, it's like you go visit Philip Jeffries and all these like weird things happen, but like it doesn't matter to Philip Jeffries, you know what happens. But we'll get there when we get there. Um maybe that isn't exactly the same because the return is crazy, but I don't know that that whole thing of like going to to that like motel to like meet philip jeffries feels very much like going to see mrs tremond uh in my opinion or something kind of related there
1: Hmm.
0: um okay anyway um so yeah ben horn talks to coop about needing to go rescue audrey and basically gets cooper to agree to do it and uh, there's an ominous thunderclap uh, when that happens. Several different ominous thunderclaps happen uh, in this episode. That's one of them.
1: Yeah. So does Ben know that Jean doesn't or, or wants to take out Coop, and that's why he's asking him by not facing him? Yeah, t- that's a turn good question. That's a I, good I don't question. know if Ben knows that, right?
0: I don't. I don't know if he knows that, but he is. He he does have like street smarts. He probably smells that something is up and I don't think he really likes Cooper very much. You know, he thinks he got a little bit too chummy with Audrey and he even brings that up in this scene. He sort of like says it without saying it that like, look, you know, you almost banged my daughter. Why don't you at least help me go rescue her? Uh, (laughs) He's not really saying that. You
1: and Audrey have a special connection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. And then next uh, Josie comes back, which this is her first time, back since the end of season one when she ran off right before the fire at the mill. So the story uh, was that she went off to Seattle to go shopping. She does that all the time. Um, So she comes back with her shopping bags and uh, Pete has to break the news to her that Catherine is dead. And uh, yeah, who knows what's up with Josie at this point?
1: Well, we kind of know what's up later on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we
0: already have ha- have seen her interact with Hank, so we know that there's some like double, triple crossing shit going on here, but it's not clear exactly what that
1: is. Wait, so this is not the scene when she's with Hank, or, or I'm sorry, with um, uh, Harry,
0: Sheriff Truman. Um, no. Is,
1: so, we, okay, she's okay. Yeah, that's that's coming up real soon. She just soon. says the, hi to Pete, right?
0: Yeah, basically, they and he breaks the news to her that Catherine is dead. Okay, the next thing that happens is that one-eyed Jack scene I was uh, confused about before. Audrey, they have Audrey doped up with heroin. And uh, Emery, the creep from the department store who recruited her, um, gets shot. Basically, Jean Renault shoots him, you know, for whatever reason. I think basically just to, like, scare Audrey and try to, like, make her understand that he's, Jean Renault is the only one in charge here who, you know, whatever. Uh, it's a whole weird like kidnapping dynamic. Looks like he's going about on. to
1: whip out his penis.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I hope Is not. Is that just me? <laughs> I wasn't thinking that. Is but that just
1: my wishful thinking? <laughs>
0: I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Finally, some full frontal male nudity. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta wait till episode eleven to get some, huh?
0: Yeah, I don't know. This this guy who plays Jean Renault, like I said, Michael Parks, this actor. It just, like, everything with him has creepy vibes to me because he's so creepy in uh, Kill Bill uh, also, so. I just, well, I just I like know.
1: how he's so com. I mean, we were talking about over-the-top acting. He's just so comically, cartoonishly French, French-Canadian. Yeah. yeah. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah, he might as well be. Might as well be saying yeah. that, yeah.
0: Right, Pepe Le Pewing.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: Um, okay, back at the sheriff's station, Cooper asks Lucy what's wrong. Kind of a funny little scene where she sort of explains how, you know, she was getting fed up with Andy being such a lunk. So she, you know, went out with this guy, Dick Dick Tremaine. I think his, his last name is Tremaine. Is that right? That's um, right. And, but, but, you know, he's obviously a lunk, too, just in a completely different way. You know, at least he had nice clothes or whatever. <laughs> um, and then Cooper just... his car.
1: Right. Is, is that what... <laughs> Is that what 90s woman complained about in their men? He doesn't wash his car enough?
0: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I
1: guess they still care about that now. It just seems but like such a dated thing that a woman would complain about. Like, I don't know. Whatever.
0: Well, Lucy's very traditional. She doesn't know how cell phones work, you know, in season three. So she's old school. Yeah. Coop tries to ask her, you know, what do you want? And of course she has no answer for that. Come on, Coop. You know better than that. Can't can't <laughs> ask her that. And that's sort of the end of the scene.
1: Yeah. Stresses woman out whenever you ask him what they want.
0: Right. Um, okay. So then back at the diner, a stranger comes in who they think is the critic, uh, M.T. Wentz. And that's the funny scene where they like send Toad into the back so that he won't be around when the food critic is there. And then he just starts eating food in the back.
1: Yeah. It's like he's a dog. Like you have to put the food in so he can't reach it on the table. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, this Um, this is what I like. I think Hank is so good at being like the quote, good husband mm -hmm. that he even does like a bad job in a way that's like try-hard, like when he's showing who they think is M.T. Wens, but it's really just the DA, right? Mm-hmm. You're showing, he's showing M.T. Uh, Wens the bathroom, and he says, yeah, it's, uh, it's private.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. and
1: And Norma kind of rolls her eyes, but she loves him for it. You know, like, <laughs> like you're just being a dumbass, but I can see her trying. And, and it's all Hank acting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very slippery Hank is...
0: Yeah, that that guy is a good actor. It's like such a hateable character, but you kind of have to like it because he's doing such a good job of being hateable in that very specific way. Yeah, Yeah, there's another line. There's another line at the very end that I think that's really good, which we'll get to at the very end of the episode when when Jonathan, the the stone faced Asian man, uh, comes into the double R, and the first time Hank sees him, he just goes, "What's the deal?" It's like, that's a great line like when when somebody breaks into your house or breaks into your place of business the first thing you say to him is what's the deal yeah <laughs> that's that's a good move i think actually it's
1: kind yeah, of a assertive well, I'm gonna put that one in my <laughs> and put it in the can right yeah that's a good tough guy thing
0: yeah Um, okay. Also at the double R Donna and Maddie are talking to each other kind of just like, you know, airing, you know, clearing the air, you know, there's nothing going on between me and James and Donna's like, well, you know, I never said we were exclusive. And Maddie's like, oh wait, you're seeing somebody else, blah, blah, blah. And she tells him like, okay, I need your help. We need to get this diary from Harold. I mean, after all, that's what Donna's after. We didn't mention it, but in that Harold scene, Donna says like, Hey, isn't that evidence? Shouldn't you give it to the police? And Harold obviously doesn't want to give it up. So that plot line is brewing now.
1: Yeah, I like what Donna were doing before they got down to business. It was like some female version of a pissing contest. I don't know, mm-hmm. tampon contest. <laughs> am I right? <laughs>
0: yeah, who can be more who can be more sultry,
1: dude? <laughs> dude, if I am, I am gonna run for mayor, and my whole platform is gonna be: we need a local diner, and we need to have teenagers, kids from the high school, smoking in it. Mm-hmm. it I I just we don't have a town without that. I don't know why. We just need that
0: yeah and whenever anything like happens like like any like important conversations they all need to happen there in that one place
1: dude I'm gonna run for mayor and my whole platform is gonna be let's just get this place like Twin Peaks mm-hmm yeah
0: no Black Lodge but you know well if it happens it happens whatever we'll live with it
1: yeah hey it just keeps us on our
0: toes that's right you need the shadow to know the light that's right um, okay so now we're at the the Josie scene um the harry is meeting up with josie she's trying to show off her sexy dress and he's basically saying like look <laughs> Catherine's dead <laughs> S- seems like you killed her like i'm not the greatest cop <laughs> in the world but this is suspicious
1: <laughs> yeah or not not that he she, she killed her but just that she burned down the the mill for the insurance money right yeah I he also
0: mentions yeah he also mentions that there was insurance yeah absolutely
1: or he also thinks that she killed her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Both things. Something. Something's
1: going uh, on. To Josie's credit, she actually never denies it. Mm-hmm. She says, how could you? Oh, that's yeah. so hurtful. But she never <laughs> denies it. And then immediately afterwards wants yeah, uh, Truman to take her in the like the most sexually way possible.
0: Yeah, and tear the dress.
1: Yeah, tear the dress.
0: After talking about how expensive it was. Yeah. Yep. And in another ominous thunderclap moment, the uh, slab-faced Asian guy is watching through the window.
1: Yeah, the triad guy is just staring.
0: Yeah. Okay. Finally, this is all a preamble uh, to the best character <laughs> showing up. Uh, his name is Judge Clinton Sternwood. Uh, he's <laughs> he's the circuit judge who shows up in his, his RV. Name's
1: definitely Sternwood.
0: Yeah, and. Um, yeah, he's got an awesome outfit that includes a bolo tie. Um, I was looking up the actor. The actor's name is Royal Dano, D-A-N-O. His brother is Paul Dano's uh, grandfather. So it's like two generations and like mm-hmm. a, adjacent to Paul Dano. Uh, Why does from, Paul
1: Dano look like such a putz and this guy is such a stud?
0: Yeah, this this guy is awesome. Um, he's got cool credentials. Um, he was in the Outlaw Josie Wales. You know, he was in like a couple like big movies, the right stuff. But one thing I saw from his Wikipedia that's really cool is he was the voice of Abraham Lincoln uh, in the Hall of Presidents at Disney. Which actually, like, maybe it's just my imagination, but like, I can hear that now. Like, hearing him talk in this episode, I can think, like,
1: oh, yeah, that's, like, Abe Lincoln at Disney World. Yeah, that's crazy. You would even remember that. I mean, what uh, Abe Lincoln sounded like at Disney World. Well, I
0: just think, like, my brain is connecting those dots. I guess I'm just thinking, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, you know? Oh, I'm not he, sure. Like
1: he would sound like that.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Like, I might have seen that on YouTube at some point, probably. I don't know if I've ever really heard that, but it, it totally jibes for me.
1: Did he do the voice of Abe Simpson or... There, I just gave away the joke of of, <laughs> of of Abraham Lincoln when they go to Itching Scratchy Lane. Yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, the judge comes into town, and you know, much like Cooper, uh, in a way, much like you know Albert, in a way, much like Gordon Cole, in a way, he's another one of these law enforcement authorities who, in the world of Twin Peaks, is really more like some sort of spiritual warrior. Um and yeah there's just something about that like vibe which like again it's weird like I don't I don't like rooting for police uh, or law enforcement per se but the way that they do it in Twin Peaks it's just like they make these guys into such interesting characters I don't really know how else to put it and he has this fantastic uh, monologue which will which we'll get into in a minute but f- first he just shows up and you know just you know pals around with the guys and is very like cool and charming and um
1: he does kind of smell lucy's hair a little bit he does yeah, like the he, joe biden thing but maybe yes. he's so cool he can actually get away with it
0: well, well it, there's that like once you're like 72 i think you can just kind of do that stuff uh, especially like in the 90s you know <laughs>
1: dude joe biden can't no i, I, yeah. I think it's okay because they, they seem to have like some pre-established relationship.
0: Right, she likes him. And Lucy is an adult. I mean, the thing about Joe Biden is True. is he's doing yeah, it to 10-year-olds who are literally cringing away from him as he does it. Oh, God. <laughs> I hate watching that clip. It really oh, does make me uncomfortable. Dude,
1: nobody likes watching that.
0: <laughs> oh, oh it, it, man. We, it,
1: we just hate ourselves. <laughs> for, like, okay, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Um, okay so there is a little scene interposed here before we get back to the awesome judge and that is when Dick Tremaine shows up and try to, tries to make amends with Lucy which is a great scene where he just shows up and says Lucy I haven't slept <laughs> it's a great trying to win a girl back tell her that
1: <laughs> yeah he totally does like the uh, I don't know is it bait and switch Wh- which nobody falls for The the audience doesn't fall for it for a second it, Lucy does mm-hmm she, she thinks that dick might be uh you know doing the whatever the good intention thing right the romantic thing that you know lucy would want not th- not want dick to do but just like some guy to do
0: right maybe he's thought things through and, and realizes that he values this relationship and that he needs to do the right thing which is what he says but actually what that is is to try to give her the money for an abortion <laughs> whoops
1: yeah nobody's surprised except for lucy by the right way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so
0: that's yeah that's her good acting where she like tells him to leave and if she if she, he says one more word she's gonna scream and he tries to say something and she like muffles her own scream and that was pretty good acting
1: <laughs> well it's funny because she doesn't want to scream it's like this biological disgust reaction right automatic i if you talk i will scream it's just how mm-hmm. it's gonna work yeah
0: <laughs> so good. then now, this is the scene, obviously, that like, you know, maybe I don't know how much you have to say about it. I think this is kind of like the most pivotal and, and sort of analyzable scene oh, wait, that wait. happens.
1: Uh, dude, before we get to that, what about um, Judge Sternwood and and Truman and, and the Philly Trouble advice? Oh, that? Yeah. He's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's giving true. He looks like there's Philly Trouble. <laughs> yeah. And he starts giving advice and then the advice goes, if they don't take the sale, you have one of two options But they you didn't continue with it.
0: Yeah, no, he says, Yeah, that that actually is awesome. They're like it's just like um what do you call it, like incidental dialogue as they're like just like transitioning. You know, he says, like, yeah, Harry looks like you're having Philly trouble, you know, because he's all upset about Josie. And he goes, If they don't take the saddle, you have two options and I won't bore you with either of them. Which oh, is <laughs> such right. a That's weird line. It's so good. Yeah. It's like, man, I really want to know what the two options are.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's good stuff. There's a lot of great writing in this episode.
1: Well, the two options would be to just find a different filly or give her more weight to carry. I don't know. I mean, right? I mean, if you're going to take this horse analogy. I guess. And then and what s- does he say to, I guess he says to uh, Truman, do you want to break the seal on that Irish stash for me?
0: Yeah, on that Irish you stashed for me. In other words, Irish whiskey.
1: Oh
0: Yeah
1: Right I totally got that Yeah Just testing you Good
0: Yeah because they had to drive in Eight hours in an RV
1: And uh That just sounds like old man talk I didn't really get But now to the scene Yeah Yeah um (sighs) You think about something there?
0: I, yeah, I'm just seeing if I can get the full, full quote. I, I have basically the full quote here. I was just wondering if I could get a little bit more context. Okay, well, anyway, they have to sit down and basically do the, uh, I guess it would be uh, a, an arraignment or like a bail hearing or something. that They're attempting to do something like that. They're basically the judge and, you know, Truman and Cooper and Leland are sitting down in an official legal capacity to begin the proceedings against Leland. And uh, there's some sort of preamble there where he just says something about how, you know, I know you, Leland, or obviously, like, you know, you've appeared before me as a lawyer or something like that. And now, like, the circumstances are different. He says something like this is, you know, miserable for all of us, something like that. But here's here's the quote. He says, this is the judge, like, kind of setting the scene, laying the groundwork for what we're going to do here. He says, quote, The law provides us structure to guide us through paralyzing and trying times, but it requires of us adherence to its procedures and higher purposes. Before we assume our respective roles in this enduring drama, just let me say that when these frail shadows we inhabit now have quit the stage, we'll meet and raise a glass again together in Valhalla so sick and then Leland of course has the perfect response which is would that it were so it's like man when do you get to use that phrase in real <laughs> life you know it's so good
1: I don't know yeah uh, and I'm just put, you know uh, another line I'm going to put in the can
0: yeah yeah so you're know,
1: saying is like what you did is if you did do this it's wrong in this existence but in a higher existence we'll be buddies and get drunk together
0: yeah and also it's like something about you know, the, the metaphysics of Twin Peaks is obviously endlessly interesting. We've literally watched four-hour-long YouTube videos about it before, so there's <laughs> there's a lot that could be said. But like I was saying a minute ago, there's something about the fact that, like, you know, you're going to try to do this, this story of Twin Peaks, you know, that, that David Lynch is doing. And so how are you going to take this world of, you know, demons and angels, you know, or, or spiritual warriors, whatever you want to call them, and like bring them down to earth into like a sitcom uh you need to do something where it's like these things map on to to things that are in the real world and it's like these law enforcement people are sort of like these like divine justice you know like whatever he's like elevated to the role of like not only is he a judge but he's like an adjudicator of like the 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 world of the gods you know so he's talking about how we'll raise a glass in valhalla <clears throat> and yeah, I think there is an implication there, like what you're saying of like, of course, we all understand that murder is wrong. Um, and the point of the law is that it makes it so that, you know, we just play our roles in this, quote unquote, enduring drama, you know, like you said. Um, but we all know that behind this structure, this structure that we need in order for our, you know, quotidian life to, to, to carry on, uh, we, we all understand that there's something beyond that. Uh, and we're all connected <clears throat> in that beyond Uh, It's just, it's so awesome. I don't know. I just love it. And I mentioned in the last, the last time we recorded that this episode was written by Jerry Stahl. Um, And uh, so, yeah, there's there's some more of his good writing coming to the fore here.
1: Well, yeah, it it just, I think what you're saying is it just speaks to why we like Twin Peaks. It's like there's this seemingly, you know, soap opera kind of drama going on, but it just keeps meaning more and more.
0: Right. Like, there's something in us that loves cop shows. Um,
1: well, yeah, because it's like right versus wrong, good versus yeah, evil. Yeah, I mean, right.
0: that's But, like, what he does with it is he says, like, yeah, but also, we, we also like ghost stories. And, and actually, they're the same thing. If you think about these sorts of, like, connections and parallels, and you make this world of Twin Peaks where they intersect uh, in very specific ways, like electricity or Glastonbury Grove. Or, you know, the judge talking about Valhalla. Like there's these there's these things that sort of make them like overlaid on top of each other in Twin Peaks, where usually it would just be a ghost story or just be a cop story.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're saying a lot there. I, I guess you're right, yeah.
0: I just think that if any if listeners, if you do nothing else, just go look up this scene on YouTube or just watch this scene. It's so good. Um, and yeah, there's like the, like the camera work and like the fact that it's like lightning and thundering outside and just sort of like the, the like aw- odd respect that Leland has for the judge after he says that is like, it's almost like it's freeing the good part of Leland's soul to be dealt with in that way. Um, and you can tell because like, as the scene continues, it's like the prosecutor isn't there yet. They can't actually go forward with the proceedings. They're just like, okay, well, we'll resume in the morning, you know, are your accommodations? Okay. Leland. And you know, he's, he's still kind of awe-stricken and, and just says like, oh yes, everyone's been very nice. And and thank you, like in a very sincere, again, w- beautifully acted uh, way. And, um, and that whole idea that like this these relations with the people who are actually bringing Leland to justice, you know, putting him away. Um, but the fact that they have empathy and this isn't treated like a cold cop show um, where you're just getting the bad guy And the idea that that can be sort of like liberating to the good part of Leland's soul. Um, we're going to see that again, obviously later uh, when, when Leland does uh, when, when his frail shadow does leave the stage later
1: on. Right anyway now on the um, important part of this scene which is yeah. when sid the 90s babe shows up
0: hello yeah <laughs> the judge's uh legal assistant sid yeah yep. it's yeah. one of those classic uh gotchas where you hear the name sid and you're not thinking about it and all of a sudden <laughs> you see who sid is
1: well with this whole trump indictment thing like isn't trump's main lawyer like just some total babe Oh, is she? I, I, mean, I, th- I think she's like 50 or something. So she's like, a babe if you're 75. But uh-huh. <laughs> just, she's just a total babe. Like, this is what Trump does. Nice. But yeah, this is my, my legal team. It's funny. I'm just,
0: I'm just looking it up now. Sid is played by an actress named Claire Stansfield. Not known for much else, but she was in the Wesley Snipes movie Drop Zone which I remember being awesome, but I haven't seen it in a long time
1: Dude, drop zone and terminal velocity. It's like skydiving V movies that came out of the (laughs) nineties,
0: right? Yeah. Those are easy. Isn't terminal velocity with the Charlie Sheen. Wait, who's in that? I don't know. Hold on. Yeah. Charlie Sheen and Natasha Kinski. Yeah. Yeah, that is so weird how that happened. Th- those two movies were 94 and 95, just like how Volcano and Dante's Peak both came out at the same time also. Or, um, or
1: Armageddon and the other one?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: What's the other one called?
0: Uh, Damn. Uh, Deep Impact.
1: Deep Impact. Yeah. Anyway. So I got to Google Terminal Velocity movie because they think I want the scientific... <laughs> Get out of here.
0: I thought you were going to say the important thing that happens is not Sid. It's uh, when we finally get to meet Mr. Tojimura, who's checking into the Great Northern Hotel and paying cash. Oh, yeah. God. Talk about something that you couldn't do. You made Twin Peaks now. This Mr. Tojimura thing. Woof! It's literally like Krusty doing the flapper dicky.
1: Yeah, but again, I mean, it's like... You're talking about... Okay, so the judge mentioned uh, the Irish. What if she was just doing an impression of an Irish guy? Mm-hmm. It'd be okay.
0: That's true. That's true. I and mean... We'll find are, out are, are later. We, yeah.
1: No are, are, you, are we going to have, like, different races come to America and not be Americans? Because what? What are we true. doing here? Um, it's like, it's like uh, you know, like the... Uh, the the American mathematics team that won like some international competition with just four Asian guys. Right. It's like, that's the most American awesome thing ever, but it's also American thing to make fun of that. <laughs> A- right. And both have equal validity. It's like, right. so I, but I understand what you're saying. Like from our perspective, from our, you know, our, our nerve endings now just can't take it. Mm-hmm. But really what's wrong with it? I, you know,
0: yeah i'm not saying if that I would sounds have
1: a, autistic doesn't mean i'm wrong
0: no i'm not saying i would have a problem with it but you know that people would that's, no i
1: i know what you're saying yeah you're yeah right like it's just because that's like six cultures ago and it was only 30 years ago you know right. so
0: right exactly Um, and yeah, that, well, we'll, we'll probably talk about that more when we get into the return, because that is an interesting question, right? Like what was Lynch, especially, you know, this out of touch, like almost 80 year old man supposed to do to, to, to pluck this show out of the early 1990s, uh, and put it in a, you know, quote unquote woke, you know, not really, but you know what I mean? 2017 is when the show came out, um, sort of context. And I think they navigate that quite well uh and i think like doctor amp is a big part of that and uh but anyway we'll talk about all that stuff later when we get to the return which i can't wait for we're going to have to do like three episodes about every single episode of the return because they're so freaking good they're all just like a perfect movie but we'll get there later
1: yeah i yeah it's it's going to be yeah i mean i don't think we can do two episodes at a time uh for season 2
0: yeah it's well, just too much. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. But for now, yeah, it's going good. Um. All right. And well, we, we meet are
1: cousin Jonathan. Yeah, we are
0: almost it. done with this one. The last things that happen here are: yeah, we meet this slab-faced Asian guy. His he's he's Josie's cousin, Jonathan. She says. Um, right. She introduces him to Pete, and then send Pete sends Pete away to go get a cup of coffee for him. Um. So between just the two of them, Josie and Jonathan. He asks her, like, you know, what's going up, going on with the sale of the mill and the land. She says, "Oh, it's okay. It's going to just need Pete's signature." He says, "Mr. Eckerd is waiting in Hong Kong," and she says, "There might be a problem with Hank." Uh, and then he says, "Well, what about the sheriff?" And she says, "The sheriff means nothing to me." So that's a lot. That's a lot of the whole Josie subplot, like all kind of coming to the surface here. Um, and so I guess what as you're supposed she's
1: to- holding the snake versus mongoose taxidermy sculpture
0: yeah yeah that's a noticeable prop isn't it first uh, of all huge yeah <laughs> yeah first of all whole... pete is carrying it but he hands it off to her when he goes to make the coffee uh, okay, that's yeah. where it comes from
1: yeah but, but yeah that's kind of holding it i mean not quite like a baby but like you would hold a dog
0: mm-hmm mm-hmm
1: so I don't know. I mean,
0: so yeah, we don't we don't know the whole story yet. Honestly, I don't know if I actually do understand the whole Josie story. I don't. I don't. I might not have ever totally understood this thing, but something's going on. Her husband's where...
1: still alive. We know that.
0: Do we know that now? I don't think we do. No, we don't know that. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna find out that it's was it her husband or is her brother Andrew? I think. But she was forced that... to be with this Eckerd guy because he knows about andrew's fraud or something
1: well, I you better get know. this straight because yeah. it's really important
0: <laughs> i've watched this show
1: like 10 times
0: and still like never fully understood this but anyway the point is know
1: it's just the dumbest thing ever like, yeah like what are you trying to do
0: the, the point is that josie is not what she seems and and she's playing harry like a fool uh and she's tangled up with some sort of hong kong uh bullshit here um all right now you might recall from the last episode that um or actually, it was from this episode. Um, you know, Coop needs to go run this special operation to rescue uh, Audrey, and he asks Harry for help from the Bookhouse boys. He says, I need your best man, and I want you, Harry, to stay out of this because it's going to be, you know, something we can't talk about. Um, but sure enough, in the, you know, perfectly predictable but charming uh, scene, you know, the best Bookhouse boy shows up to meet Coop, and sure enough, it's Harry. Uh, and they're, yeah, they're, they're going to go take care of business.
1: Yeah. A, a guy uh, who who belongs to something called the Bookhouse boys would get duped by Josie. Right. That just makes sense. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. Like Big Ed, he's a Bookhouse boy. He definitely could have been duped by Josie 10 times over.
1: <laughs> well, he's still married to what's her face. Why?
0: Yeah. Well, that's
1: the saddest Saddest that, that plot line will
0: come back later yeah for sure and yeah. um, by the way did you notice that little moment too where like you hank n- n- got that in with norma for one second there he's doing his whole good boy routine and he's like hey by the way i think you should call up big ed oh, without yeah. like giving any context and sh- Dude, and Hank's she's taking it back man yeah he's he's really you know being devious there oh, and she's like oh, so- oh why and he's like well you're still close to him right are you still in touch with him right
1: pushing and pulling man Ooh, i love man. it
0: man yep
1: I'll say, uh, did, you, did you notice that Cooper was organizing the Peanuts in an upside-down triangle when, ha- when uh, Harry shows up? I did not. That's interesting. Does that represent... Because, um, you know, the upside-down triangle represents feminine. Is that like some orderly deconstruction of the feminine? Mm. And that's what they're trying to do by getting to the bottom of, you know, what's going on with Laura, what's going on with Audrey.
0: Maybe trying to make also, sense of it all. Yeah, there's also that like diamond. Yes, Lucy, like what she wanted. Yeah, that's true. He is kind of like getting in touch with the feminine here. That's yeah, that's interesting. There's also that, but, like,
1: but I, he's doing it in a bad He's doing it in a very Cooper way, but yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah they, the, um, I can't, I, it comes up at the end of season two when they get like the map, uh, that's like painted on the wall of the cave and it has that like diamond logo which winds up being like the logo that's on the ring, the owl like logo, and it's like a big part of the return. Um, and that's hmm. kind of like made up of a triangle, uh, but it's more like kind of like two diamonds. So I don't know. Maybe it's like supposed to be suggestive of Coop starting to get like that sort of insight as well. I don't really know.
1: then Cousin Jonathan shows up and beats up Hank.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the last scene is uh, Jonathan, the, the triad showing up at the diner and, and taking care of the Hank problem, um, by beating the shit out of him,
1: Which is like a cool, you know, I, I like when like you, you think somebody's really powerful. I mean, Hank's running around shooting people, you know, Yeah, know, like got out of jail two seconds ago. He's yeah, shooting he's scary. people. Yeah. Yeah. He's a scary guy. And then there's this other guy who comes in and, and he's even scarier and he sends them like the blood brother mess. Uh, message like the reference that he did with um Josie Mm -hmm. but I don't know I guess at this point you're still wondering like oh like who is gonna win is this gonna continue are they gonna try to fight out for some kind of territory I don't know
0: right what What is is that
1: territory again I, I don't even know but
0: and he doesn't say anything specific to Hank right he just says like next time it'll be your head or something like that right so we don't like, if you were Hank, like d- does Hank know who this g- guy represents? Does he know that he's with
1: Josie? Yeah, because he did the blood brother thing with Hank. Yeah, right. And that's what Hank did with Josie. Right, right. So he's referencing that, so okay. he does know. That's right. Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. So the message has been sent to Hank. I had like,
1: to reference my notes to, to pull that one out. But yeah, yeah,
0: I forgot about that part. So, okay. So either...
1: I've got, like, a whole spreadsheet here. <laughs>
0: right. So either... Hank already knew, or either this Jonathan guy already knew about that, or maybe Josie told him, like, hey, what happened with this Hank guy is that, like, he's making these threats that he's going to, like, blow up our scheme. And also, he cut my thumb and did the Blood Brother thing. Uh, Like, maybe he just found out about that. I don't know. But either way, uh, well,
1: she brings up Hank when Jonathan, when she's holding the mongoose.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. She definitely tells him Hank might be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, All right. So that's where we're at. Um, Yeah, still in the the prime of season two here. This is all good stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like... I'm not going to say what my favorite episode is. It's just impossible. So I just say whatever one I'm watching at the moment. So my new favorite episode will be the one we'll discuss next time. Sounds good. I mean, we have at
0: least... I'm peeking ahead slightly here. We have at least one two and then i think it's this i think it's episode seven of season two is the next lynch one yes so the next three are all absolute bangers especially the third one out season two episode seven uh, is insanely good but we'll get there when we get there yep All right. In the meantime, uh, everybody let us know what you think. The brazen heads podcast at gmail.com. Someone did email in asking for uh, my extensive infinite just notes and uh, I'll be sure to respond to them. Uh, I forgot to do it, but I'm acknowledging it here on the podcast in order to take (laughs) accountability. (laughs) Thank you everybody for getting in touch. This is
1: not a, this not a podcast. It's an accountability group.
0: That's right. That's right. Now I'm holding myself responsible.
1: (laughs) All right, buddy. Good talking to you. All
0: right. Late.